Amen. As we were singing that song, the line, I will build my life on your love, is such a powerful statement. And that's what we're going to be looking at today as we continue the series, Gaten Culture. Uh, my name is Mike Bailey. I am the lead pastor here at Gaten, And we are looking forward to what God has for us. Um, if you've been with us before, uh, you've heard that we've talked about this idea of gathering large to connect small, be disciples who make disciples of all generations. And that's really our focus. Uh, we call that Vision 2025. If you're a guest this morning and you'd like to see any of the messages or any of the services from prior weeks, you can go to our website. Uh, if you go to gaten.church media and you can check those out. Uh, we are moving forward as a church. We're excited about where God's leading us and we're looking forward uh, to how he's going to move and how he's going to show up and the things he's going to do. We believe uh, as we gather large that this is our time to worship together. This is our time um, to be in unity as we sing to God and we listen to his words and uh, we participate in what he has for us. And then we connect small. And sometimes we say uh, circles are better than rows because I can look you in the eye. I can get to know you. I can get to know your name and your story. And you can get to know me and my name and my story. And we can pray for each other and encourage each other. So uh, as we move, we want to move together in that direction. Last week, we talked about, uh, talked about cultivating a culture. The cultures just don't happen. Uh, health tends to be uh, something you have to work at. You don't get healthy in your physical body. You don't get healthier at your work. You don't get healthier at school if you don't put effort and energy and, and make it a point of your uh, focus in your life. And so cultivating, being intentional in a culture. And we want to have a Christ-centered, healthy church culture here so that we can have Christ-centered, healthy cultures at home and at work and, and at school and wherever we are. And so today we're going to look and, and cultivate a certain area of culture, and we're going to look at a loving culture. What does it mean to have a loving culture at your church? What does it mean uh, for us to cultivate love here at Gaten? And as I was thinking about this topic, I, I recognized that we live in a messy time. We live in a messy time, and it's hard to really think about what does it mean to have a loving culture. Because we look around the world and we see the world, there's tons of conflict and there's tons of challenge and there are, there are, there are corrupt governments and there are evil acts and there are people starving and there are people dying. Um, and we think of the, even today with the coronavirus, things that are happening around the world. Um, where is the love in all of that? Where is a culture of love in any of that? Then we think of our own immediate area, our own environments, whether it's school, work, or home. And the conflicts and challenges that we have and the obstacles and the stresses. And it's hard to see where can I cultivate love? How can I cultivate love? What does that even mean? And then as we continue to go deeper in, I look at my own heart, my own thoughts. Am I cultivating loving thoughts in my mind, in my heart, in my emotions? It's easy to have self-doubt. It's easy to beat ourselves up. It's easy to be prideful and think great things of ourselves. Um, it's easy to uh, get away from this place of love and be selfish and, and, and be self-motivated. And it, it's very easy to not cultivate love in my heart and in my mind. And so today, when we continue this study in John chapter 15, the question I'm asking of the text and, and, and my prayers that he would, God would speak to all of us how can we do this? What does it mean to cultivate love within myself, in my environment, and in the world in which I live? And as we look at that, asking the question also, what does Jesus want our church culture to be like? What does he want it to be like when you're here on Sunday, when you're here for an event during the week, when you're in your circle, when you're serving together? What should that be like if we're cultivating a Christ-centered, healthy culture? And so before we go to his word, let's precede it with prayer. If you would pray with me, please.
Father, thank you. Thank you that in these moments we can pause, we can relax, and we can focus our minds and our hearts on you. Lord, I pray as as we read from the book of John, we know that John was a close friend of yours, that um, John loved you, and, and he desired for us to love you. And so I pray as we read these words that the truth that is in heaven would be on earth, the love that is in heaven would be here, the love that is spiritual would also be physical. And Lord, I pray as we discuss this that you would give us what we need, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's grace, whether it's motivation, uh, whatever that thing is that we need to be fed with this morning, I pray you would feed us and you would um, empower us and give us energy to serve you and to serve others. Lord, I pray that you would um, bless the conversation and bless the words so that we would see the grace and forgiveness that you've given us and that we see this amazing forgiveness that we would live out that forgiveness in our own lives. And Lord, I pray that as we talk about different things and some things can be sensitive and some things can make us um, get emotional, I pray, Lord, that you would protect us in that and that you would harness our emotions, harness our thoughts and direct them towards yourself. Lord, help us to never forget that the greatest is yet to come. The future is bright. Things are going to be amazing. We can't even imagine how amazing they're going to be. Uh, Lord, help us to recognize that this morning and trust in you as we read your words. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to continue in John chapter 15. We'll be starting in verse 9. To give you just some quick context, um, we are told that John is one of the 12 disciples. John is a very close disciple to Jesus, and uh, that many times when Jesus went away, he, uh, there's something called the transfiguration, that John was able to be there for that. And, and John was picked out to be at certain events that some of the other disciples were not allowed to be because he had this close, tight-knit relationship to Christ. And that we understand as John is writing this um, gospel, this account of Jesus' life and writing down the words of God, the words of Jesus, um, that he wants us to recognize this deep love that Jesus has for us, this deep love we can have for Jesus, and this awesome future that God has in store for us um, as his followers. And so as we go through, last week we talked about the seven I am's that, that Jesus lives into these, these seven I am's and he is the vine and he's identifying his deity and he's identifying who he is. And I also want you to recognize as we go into this part of John, that John is very intentional in his writing. He's a great author and he is, he is, he's trying to communicate a very clear concept. And here's the concept, that the father and the son have a deep relationship of love, that the father... God and the Son Christ, Jesus, that they have this love for each other and this connection through this love and that uh, it's powerful and meaningful. And then we see the next tier is that Jesus has this powerful love for us as people, that he had powerful love for his disciples and he has powerful love for people in general. And then uh, we see the third tier where it says, now that I know the, the, the love of God to Jesus and, and Jesus to me, now I am to have that love to everybody else. That I am to share that love that starts here with God, it's built in Christ and it's available to me through Christ and that that spreads through Jesus. And as we see how he writes John 15, we're going to see that progression over and over again that he wants us to recognize that loving Jesus is loving God and it's also loving people and that they're all interconnected 
And they're all valuable and they're all important to understand. And so that is where we begin, John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Now what I want you to think about and what I was thinking about as I was reading this is, what does it mean that the Father has loved me so have I loved you. Do we truly believe this morning, do I truly believe this morning that the, the level in which God loves Jesus is the same level in which Jesus loves me? Maybe you grew up in church and, and maybe you walked away or maybe you came back or maybe you never knew about church growing up and this is a brand new thing for you. But I think one of the challenges, especially if you grew up in church, is you have church guilt and, and you feel a lot of shame about things and you feel like you don't measure up and, and you've made some mistakes and you've fallen short and, and, and it's tough to recognize that Jesus truly loves me as I am who I am. And that can be a very difficult challenge. And maybe this morning, it's just difficult for you to believe that this statement that Jesus makes, that he loves you as much as the Father loves him and as much as he loves the Father. One of the things I learned to say, and, and my wife and I say to our children on a regular basis is, there's nothing you can do to make me love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. And as an earthly father, if I can say that to my children, and they recognize that they don't earn my love, do I also recognize that in my relationship with Christ? Do I also recognize that in my relationship with God? I didn't earn salvation, Christ did. And even in my salvation, I don't earn points with God because it's relational. And so I believe the first point that Jesus is making in this statement is Jesus has unimaginable love for you. And if you get nothing else out of this morning, just chew on that for the rest of this week. Chew on this idea that God has this immense love for you, that he has this immense desire to be part of your life. He has this immense desire to, to be there with you through all that you go through in life. How do I know that? Because he says, now remain in my love. He wants us to remain there. He wants us to come to the place where we accept him as Savior, accept him as Lord, and then stay there and love it and live into it and build that relationship closer and closer every day. Many of you know that a year ago, the end of March of last year, my mother passed away. And for a year now, my father is trying to navigate this new road of life of what do I do? How do I live? And it's a different side of my father that I've ever seen in my life. It's a completely um, new experience I'm having with him. But the beauty of the time we live in is I can pick up my phone and I'll see on my phone my dad called and he's checking to see how I'm doing and um, I can call him and see how he's doing and we can remain in this relationship and, and we can remain connected to each other even though we live hours and hours away. And I see this relationship I have with my father. I desire the best for him. I desire to know what's going on in his life. He desires the best for me. He desires to know what's going on in my life. And then I see that reflection of what Jesus is saying here to me and him. That he desires that closeness. He desires that relationship. That's what he's, he's, he's built me to be. 
is in that type of relationship where I'm investing in him and he's revealing himself to me. He wants you to stay close. He wants you to know his presence. And then he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. This is an interesting statement and it can be taken a lot of different ways. But I think it's important to recognize as we read these things that my relationship with another human, your relationship with another human are two faulty humans having a relationship. Meaning I need grace for you, you need grace for me. We need to find middle ground. We need equality in this relationship. We need to talk and respect each other and, and have some point of, of reference that brings us to the middle. But my relationship with God is he is perfect. He is ultimate. He's eternal. He knows me better than I know me. And so the relationship is on his side to trust him and to believe in him and to, to, to use him as my compass and not try to make him like me. And so what I believe he's saying is when you get up in the morning, when you live out your life, that you are to go to him and say, help me today as I dwell with you to be like you. Help me to know that. Help me to live that. Um, fill me with your spirit. Help me to see the world the way you see the world. Help me to see myself the way you see me. Help me not to lie to myself. Help me not to believe lies about myself. Help me not to believe lies about others. Help me to value and love others the way you do. That I remain in this relationship of love when I recognize the relationship I have with the Father. That through uh, the Christ sacrifice, he died on a cross, he opened a door for me to come to God every single day at any point with anything. And that the Father cares and welcomes and desires to be with me as I am with him. That he desires all of us to be with him. He goes on to say, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. John goes back to the tier of relationship. That, that it's God to Jesus and Jesus to us and us to the world, to everyone else. That the, the relationship started when Jesus lived an absolute perfect life. At this time, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. He's talking to his disciples, preparing to them for a very uh, major event that's about to happen. And as he's preparing them, he's saying, look, um, I've already, I've, I'm paying a price that you cannot pay. I'm paying a price that you cannot pay. And he's referring to the fact that back in Moses' time, which was thousands of years earlier, uh, that God gave Moses these Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, we are told by Paul later that none of us can live into those commandments. I can never live perfectly. Those commandments reveal my lack of perfection, but they reveal Jesus' perfection. We see through this that he made love possible. Why? Because he had no other gods before God. God was his total top relationship. He had no other idols. He worshiped nothing but God. He never took the Lord's name in vain. He kept the Sabbath holy. He honored his father and mother. He did not murder. He did not commit adultery. He did not steal. He did not give false testimony. And he did not covet. And he lived this way from birth to the age of 33. And he established this love relationship with his father. And it was a relationship none of us could establish. It was a relationship he had to establish for us. And so he establishes this love relationship. And he says, I have been faithful to the commands of my father. And we have stayed in this loving relationship. And now I'm establishing it so you can be in this loving relationship. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. 
The joy he has that now I have paid it all. I have sacrificed. I have taken your sin and I have covered it. And now there is joy for everyone because in me you can find hope. In me you can find life. In me you can find eternity. And then the joy that we're looking for, man, do I look for joy. I look for joy in, 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 in accomplishment. I look for joy in pleasure. I look for joy in, in, in fun. And it is like a vapor. It is like a cloud. It seems like it's there, but you grasp for it and it's not there. And Jesus is saying that joy that you're grasping for, that you're trying to get by all these things you're doing, is only found in him. It's only found in him. Your joy is complete. And so he says, this is what I want you to cultivate. This is what I want you to live out in your life. Here it is. My command is this. It's a new command. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. This is what we want to cultivate here at Gaten. You see, back in the Old Testament, pre-Jesus, the saying was, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So treat people the way you want to be treated. Jesus took this up a notch, and he said, love each other the way I love you. Love each other the way I love you. This is a valuable love. This is valuing everyone. When Jesus came, he came to save that which was lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The idea was that value was placed on all humans, that we were all worthy of our Christ's love, that he came to establish that love. And so this morning, I would like to give you three applications Three ways we can live out this love. Three ways in a messy world, in a messy environment, in a messy heart, I can be like Christ and I can live out and cultivate a culture within me, a culture around me that is loving and Christ-like. First, Christ listened generously. Jesus listened generously. Listen generously means that I, I, I put my phone down, I look you in the eye, I value what you have to say, I listen, and, and, and when I'm listening, I'm thinking about what you're saying, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say back to you, that there's this generosity in listening. How do I know this? Where is the example? Well, if you remember, Jesus is on the cross, and he's on the cross, and there are two other crosses next to him. And while he's on the cross, there's this conversation that is going on between uh, the thief on this cross and the thief on this cross. And as I was thinking about this story, I was thinking about for myself, the time I least want to be generous in my listening, the time I am least generous in my listening is when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm stressed or when I'm in pain. Would you agree with that? Yeah. That is the time it's hard. I can't hear what you're saying right now because I'm hungry. I can't hear what you're saying right now and I don't care what you're saying right now because I'm stressed. I'm not listening to you because I'm hurting right now. Right? Here's Jesus on the cross. He's been mutilated to the point where we can't even recognize him. He's been whipped. He's been tortured. He's been ridiculed. He's been mocked. He's, had, he's dehydrated. He's had to carry his cross. He's up here. He is on a mission to save us from our sins. He is giving all he has to us. 
And there's this conversation going between these two thieves next to him. And the one thief says, uh, if you're the Messiah, why didn't you save yourself and save us? You're a lie. You're a fake. And the other, guy on the, uh, the other thief is saying to him, how dare you say that? Both of us are, are guilty and we deserve to be on these crosses. This man is innocent. And he turns and he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. Now, Jesus could say, I'm too important to listen to your question. I'm too important to recognize you. I'm saving the world. I'm an important person. I'm too busy to listen. I'm too stressed to listen. I'm too tired. I'm too hurt to listen. But what does he say? Today, you will be with me in glory. At the moment Jesus had every excuse not to listen generously, he listened generously and responded. And he valued that thief. And he spoke into his life. What excuse do I have with those who live in my house? What excuse do I have to those who I go to work with? What excuse do I have to those I go to school with? Not to listen to them. Not to care what they have to say. To disregard people and be focused on my own path because I'm busy and important. Do you see where Jesus is saying to love like I loved is to value people. It's to bring value to everyone around you. Will we listen generously to each other? The second principle I think is important is Jesus, he spoke straight. He didn't, he didn't go around gossiping. Imagine the picture, Jesus is getting ready for the cross and, and, and Peter comes up to him and, and he says, I will never deny you, I won't let you die. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll fight, I'll do whatever I have to do. And then Jesus goes over to his other disciples and, and begins a conversation. You're not gonna believe what Peter's about to do. He's going to deny me three times. What kind of follower is he? Can you imagine Jesus going around and gossiping about the sins of those he knew were going to happen around him? Why can't we imagine it? Because it's not Christ-like. It's not like Christ to talk bad about people behind their backs. To go to a whole other group that are not involved and build up all of this hate and anger instead of going directly to the person that I have issues with and speaking straight and dealing with issues directly. Christ's example is an example. He didn't beat around the bush when he came to the Pharisees. He didn't even beat around the bush when it came to Judas. He was direct. He did not go to other people to tell about his problems with other people. What a challenge that is for us. What a challenge that is for me to speak straight, to value someone enough that when I have issue with them, I go directly to them to resolve the issue. Am I doing that? Are we doing that? Are we loving like Christ loved? Are we cultivating a culture of love? because we speak straight with one another. And then finally, are we for each other? Do we think the best of each other? Do we care about each other? Do we sacrifice for each other? There's this amazing moment. 
again on the cross. An amazing, amazing moment. Jesus is on the cross. And guess what? All of his 12 disciples are gone except one. John is there. He's on the cross. You know who else is there? We're told a group of women are there. What an amazing thing. This group of women are there. One of the women is Mary, his mother. Jesus is on the cross. He has every reason to say, look, I have to be focused on my task. I have to be focused on saving everyone from their sins. I am, I've got to be for me right now. I got to focus on me right now. And yet he looks and he says, John, this is my mother, Mary. I need you to take care of her. Church history tells us that Joseph had had died making Mary a widow. Jesus doesn't ask the brothers and sisters we're told that he has. He asks John, who he trusts, to take care of his mother. Because even in the moment of excruciating pain, even in the moment where he's taking on the greatest task and challenge that any human would ever take in the history of the world, even in the moment where he is winning the greatest battle that there ever will be, he stops and looks at someone he cares about, an individual, his mother. He says, John, I value her and I value you. And I'm for her and so I need you to be for her. I need you to help me with that. Are we for each other in that way? Are we for each other? Do I look around and say, man, how can I help? What are the issues? How can I be engaged? How can I be more sensitive to the needs of those around me? How can I invest so that there is hope and there is grace and there is life in the people that are directly in my life and those that are not even directly in my life? Do I love like Jesus loved? He is telling me here to cultivate love in our church, in our hearts, in our lives. I have to love like he loves, and this is how he loves. At the end of the month, we're doing something called Reboot. Some of you have heard of this. The whole purpose of Reboot is to refocus around this vision of gathering large to connect and being disciples who make disciples of all generations One of the things I plan to do as part of this, to refocus our culture, refocus our our eyes on what's important, is to take what Jesus said was most valuable. He didn't say our structure or our strategies were most valuable to him. He said how we treat each other is most valuable to him. My plan is to put these three principles into all the meetings that occur here at Gayton, that we always remind ourselves the very first thing is that we're gonna listen generously in this meeting. We're gonna speak straight and we're gonna be for each other. Because more importantly, when we meet God and this life is over, he's not gonna ask us about our achievements. He's not gonna ask us about uh, our structure or our strategies or all these things we came up with. He's gonna say, how did you treat each other? How did you love each other? How did you love each other like I loved you? What is he saying to you now? Who is the person that you struggle to listen to generously? Who is the person you didn't speak straight to and went to somebody else? Who is the person you know you're not for? And you, and you recognize that. Because this can all be summarized 
This can all be summarized in this powerful statement that the Bible makes. This powerful statement that God makes directly to us this morning. Here's that statement. They will know we are Christians by our love. Not by our knowledge, not by our wisdom, not by our achievement, not by our influence. But they will know we are Christians by our love. How am I cultivating love in my heart? How am I cultivating it in my environment? And how am I cultivating it in the world? As a church, as a family, will we be intentional in cultivating a Christ-like culture? That's the challenge. Every week, we come here and we ask the Lord to speak to us. And today, he spoke to us, I believe, through his word and said, hey, let's love the world like never before. Let's forgive. Let's ask for forgiveness. Let's listen. Let's be intentional. And when we do this, God shows up and he does amazing things. Yesterday, I was able to go um, to a nursing home where we, we go as a church regularly. And we were able to do communion with those individuals there. The only reason I'm able to do that, the only reason we're able to structure and talk about these things and, and have moments where we're, we're listening to God's word and we're talking about loving the world in this radical way and loving each other in this radical way and loving God in this radical way is because we're partnering together in this. This isn't me. This isn't just a staff or, or, or leadership within the church. This is all of us partnering together on a mission. I couldn't do it. Well, I couldn't be here if you, don't, if you weren't faithful and obedient to your generosity to the Lord. And so now we come to that time when we ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and it's movement, it really is movement in life. What is he saying to you? What is he asking you to give? Whether it's forgiveness, whether it's your time, or whether it's your tithe, your offering. Whatever it is, we get to do it. And we get to do it together. And we believe that the God who loves us um, the same way he loves his son is going to use whatever we give and going to bless it in powerful ways. So let's pray and ask him to bless this time. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your hope. And Lord, some of these conversations are harder than others. But we know that you love us right where we are. You love us enough to not leave us where we are. And so you call us upward. You call us to be more like you. And so, Lord, now we know that you are extraordinarily generous. Not only were you generous as a listener, you were generous with your very life to the point of death. And so, Lord, we want to worship you now. Lord, help us to give from a place of generosity, a place of joy. And we ask you, Lord, that whatever whatever you call us to give, that you would use that. The lives would be changed, that the people we'll 